All right. Good morning, good morning, good morning. How are we? This is exciting. Thank you for being here today. Hey, we are going to just jump in and get going today. Uh, we're continuing in our sermon series that we've called The God Questions. What we've done is we've taken the months of September and October. We've tried to say, what are some of the questions that people commonly have about God? What are some of the questions that people wrestle with and try to come to an understanding of who God is and, and, and what he means and, and how he fits in their life and, and is he real? And so we've been trying to deal with these questions of, of the God questions that people have. Today, we're going to deal with this question. We have a really good question today. We're going to deal with the question of, why hasn't God answered my prayer? I mean, what, th- this is a powerful question when we consider, because how many of you have ever prayed to God and said, God, I need you to show up. God, I'm, I, I'm in this point. God, would you answer my prayer? And you pray this and you say, God, where are you? Because you hear nothing but silence. You're nothing but silence. You're like, God, did you not hear me? Did, did, did my prayer just bounce off the ceiling and come back down? I mean, God, where are you at? I mean, we cry out. We pour out our heart to say, God, I need you. And we get nothing. We get silence. And so this is a very real question. Before we, before we dig into this question a little bit deeper, I want to start out. And I want to remind us of three things that we know to be true about God. Three things we know to be true about God and about prayer. The first thing that we know to be true about God and prayer is he tells us to pray and to ask him. He tells us that we are to pray to him. We're to ask him for the things of our heart. We're to, we're to ask him for our needs. And, and we're even told that he will meet those. Matthew chapter 21, verse 22 says, Jesus is speaking. He says, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. 1 John five fourteen says, and this is a confidence that we have toward him. That if we, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And Philippians chapter 5 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. See, we are told as Christians, as, as believers, that we are to pray to God. We're supposed to let him know the desires of our heart. We're supposed to ask him for good things in our life. Okay? The second thing that we know about God is that God hears us. God hears our prayers, and God loves to give us good gifts. God loves to give us good gifts. You see, no matter how you may feel, no matter how you may feel, you need to know that your prayers don't, just don't go up and get bounced back off the ceiling. See, God loves to hear from us, just as any father loves to hear from his kids. God is a good father. He is a good father who eagerly desires to give us good gifts. There's a, there's a story in Psalm 18. Jesus is, 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 gives his disciples a parable to show his children that they should always pray and they shouldn't stop praying just because initially you don't hear anything, hear an answer. I don't want to get into too much of the story, but there's a, there's a widow and she goes before a, a, a king and, and she says to the king, hey, would you gr- grant my request? And, and, and she comes repeatedly to the king and the king finally says, you know what, fine, have your request made. And, and, and God is, Jesus is trying to make a statement that God is not like that king. He's greater than that king. He loves us. And God loves to give us the desires of our heart. He loves to give us good gifts. Number three, third thing we know about God that we have to start and understand is God knows what we need before we even ask it. Before we even say the words, God knows what our needs are. God is omniscient. He knows everything. 
He knows everything in the past, everything in the present, every, everything in the future. He knows all of the possibilities. But, but you see, because we're human, because we're human, we don't always understand everything the way that God works. We don't understand how, God, God, how God's ways play out. I mean, if we could understand the mysteries of God, we'd be in real trouble because then we would be gods ourselves. In the Bible, we see God work through unexpected ways. We see God work in ways that you and I would say, man, I didn't see that coming. This was played out in the story of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah, they wanted a child. And God said, I'm going to give you a child. And they got older and older and older. And Abraham is 100 years old. He's like, man, God, I thought you said I was going to have a kid. And you know what? This is great because this is just how God works. He works in unexpected ways because at 100 years old, God gave him a son. Now, I don't want to imagine having a kid at 100 years old. I do not want to imagine that. But that's just the way that God works. He works in, in, in ways that we can't understand, the ways that we, don't, we, we wouldn't desire, the ways that we wouldn't anticipate. But we know that his plan is always best. And so if we know these three things about God, we know that he tells us that we're to pray to him and ask him that he's going to provide. We know that he loves us and he desires to give us good gifts. And we, we, we know that he knows what we need before we even say it. What happens when we do this? What happens when we pray? When we do what God tells us to do and we get no response? What happens when we're praying to God and say, God, I need you to show up. God, I'm going through this hard time, and, and it's a weight that I can't carry on my own. God, I need you to show up. What happens when, when there's silence? What happens when, when God doesn't jump in and, 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 and rush in like Superman and save the day? What happens when God doesn't do the things that we expect him to do or the things that we are asking him to do? There's this guy named Ted Turner. Ted Turner is, is a media mogul. If you've watched TBS or TNT or uh, CNN or the Cartoon Network, that's all a product of Ted Turner. And, and, and I came to know Ted Turner because I was a baseball fan, and he owns the Atlanta Braves baseball team. And so Ted Turner, there's this great story about Ted Turner. Uh, his dad had this, this, this uh, media business. And, and as, a young, as a young boy, Ted Turner went to church and he got saved. And he gave his life to Jesus and said, man, I want to follow Jesus. And he got baptized. And as Ted was growing up, he said, you know what? I don't want to do what my dad does. He said, I want to be a missionary. And he committed his life to become a missionary. But then something happened when he was 15 years old. He had a younger sister named Mary Jane. And Mary Jane was diagnosed with, with a disease called lupus. This is a disease that, in which the immune system attacks the body's tissue. His sister was 12 years old. And she was racked with pain and constant vomiting. And her cries, her cries and pain would fill their entire house. And Ted, young Ted would come home every day after school. And he'd hold his sister's hand and sit by her side trying to comfort her. And he'd pray for hours at a time. God, would you heal my sister? God, she's going through this, uh, this crazy pain. God, would you heal my sister? And after a, a couple years of this crazy disease, she succumbed to the disease and she died. And that was one of the tipping points in Ted's life. 
as one of the tipping points that would cause him to denounce the Christian faith. And the Ted Turner that most of us would know is a Ted Turner who's been hostile to Christianity his entire adult life. So this topic this morning of why doesn't God answer our prayers, this is an important topic. This is a real topic. This is a real conversation. Because, I mean, we sit and we say, like, we're Ted Turner. You know, if God is good, if God loves me so much, then why isn't God showing up? Why isn't God stepping in and doing something right now? In all honesty, when we look at our lives, this is probably the one thing that weighs us down greatest. When we have something going on in our life, we have something that's, that, that, that's so pressing on us and it's so difficult for us to manage and to hold and to, and to carry. And we cry out to God, say, God, I need you in this moment. And we get silence. This is one of the things that probably weighs us down more than anything else. Perhaps no greater burden than this, the silence of God when we're calling out to him. This story is played out in everyday life. You see this in, in, in parents who have a child, and they've raised this child up in the church. They've brought the child to Sunday school. The child knows the Bible. But as soon as the child moves out of the house, they forget everything they learned in the past. They forget about church. They forget about Jesus. And these parents, they're praying every day for their child. They're praying, God, bring him back to you. God, bring him back. But to this day, the child is still agnostic and still indifferent towards Jesus. Yet the parents are praying every day, God, bring this child back. This is play, played out in a, in a husband who prays for his wife. The wife goes to the doctor and gets diagnosed with terminal cancer. She has six or seven months left to live. So the husband's praying for her. The husband has the elders of the church come. The elders of the church, they anoint the wife with oil. And, and they pray for healing in the name of Jesus. But three months later, she dies due to that cancer. This is played out. With a young man who's fervently praying for deliverance. From, from deliverance from the overpowering addictions that control his life. But it seems that the more he prays, the worse the temptation comes. This is played out in, 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 in parents or in, in, in a marriage of a, of a couple who are praying and saying, God, there's nothing we want more than to be parents. There's nothing we want more than to bring a child into this world and to love this child and raise a child up to love you and to serve you. And, and you see this in a, young fam- in, in, in a young marriage, and they're praying to God, God, give us a child. It's the one thing we want. Give us the desire of our heart. And they go through, and God never allows them to get pregnant, never gives them the blessing of a child. This is played out in a young woman who was silently abused as a child. And all she seeks now is a godly man who would love her for her. Who would love her as God's creation, not as a piece of meat. Not as something that he can abuse and, and, and mistreat. And you see her praying, God, God, would you provide this for me? Would you provide me a man who, who reflects you? And the silence that she hears is deafening. You see, this leads us to cry out along with the psalmist who wrote in Psalm chapter 10. He said, why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? You see, the question of unanswered prayer is something that changes the course of lives. 
It changed the course of Ted Turner's life. So I'm thankful. One of the things I'm thankful for is I'm thankful that God's word doesn't shy away from the hard subjects. You know, we've, we talked a few weeks ago about one of the reasons why we can trust the Bible. I love that the Bible isn't just these happy stories of sunshine and, and, and rainbows and everybody smiling and laughing. I'm thankful that the Bible deals with, with tough, serious subjects just like this of unanswered prayer. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in, in Psalm chapter seven, 77 today. If you have a Bible, we're in Psalm chapter 77. If you need a Bible, we have an usher in the back. Uh, Mike, if you just put your hand up, we'd love to put one of these in your hand. Psalm chapter 77. Psalm 77 was written by a man named Asaph. Asaph wrote 12 of the Psalms throughout the book of the Psalms. He was an officer in the Jewish religious system. And in Psalm 77, again, this is why I love God's word. It's because it's so real. Deals with, 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 with this, this question of why God, doesn't God answer by prayer, even with all the agony and even all the disappointment that comes along with it. In Psalm 77, this is a story of a man who is nearly driven to despair because God seems to refuse to answer his prayer. So if you have a, so if you turn there, Psalm 77, let's read this. To, let, let's read this. It says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. And the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. I meditate. My spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years ago. I said, let remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he shut up? Has, his, has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember the wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders, and you have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of jo Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O oh God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. It's God's word, it's God's word for us today. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that your word deals with tough subjects, deals with, with, with hard times. It isn't just rosy and, and cupcakes. Lord, I thank you for Psalm 77 and for Asaph writing this. And Lord, I pray as we wrestle with this question of, God, why don't you answer our prayers all the time? Lord, I pray for those that are coming in with, with this heavy heart of, you know, I've been there. I know exactly what it is. Lord, I pray that you would comfort us. 
I pray that your spirit would reach out to us and that you would allow us to connect with your word and that you would speak to us today. Lord, I pray that you would make yourself real and known to us. Lord, I pray that we would feel your presence. Lord, draw us to you. Give us today hearts to understand and ears to hear. We love you and praise you for who you are. We ask this in your name. Amen. Now here in Psalm 77, we are never told what Asaph's affliction is. We aren't told whether there was a terrible loss in his life. We aren't told whether he experienced some extreme sickness. We don't know if he experienced the rebellion of a child. Or maybe, maybe he experienced uh, the, the betrayal of a close friend. We're never told what happened in his life. But we know that in verse 1, in verse 1, he says, I cry aloud to God and he will hear me. You see, Asaph is expressing this, this uh, childlike faith that he can call out to God and God will hear him. He's, he's feeling this distress, this hard time, and he knows that he can call out to God and that God will hear him. But when you look through the next several verses, you see this increasing disillusionment with God. You see him having this confidence of, God, I will cry out to you and you will hear me. To look at verse 2. Verse 2 describes Asaph as crying out to God continually. But it says his soul refuses to be comforted. He says, God, I'm crying out to you, but there's, there, there's no help for my soul. I feel this weight. It's not getting any better. I see depression beginning to kick on. Verse 3 goes a little further, and he says, When I remember God, my spirit faints. See, there's this continued disillusionment. This continued, God, I'm crying out to you. God, I'm asking you to show up and step in and do something. But God is silent. There's no response. And verse 4 describes his agony, that he was at the point that he couldn't even sleep. We've been there. You've been there. I've been there. You have this going on in life, and your mind just races all night long. You're like, God, just let me sleep. But God doesn't let you put this out of your mind. And he says that his troubles and his emotions are so disturbed that he can't even describe them to others. He says he can't even speak them. He's feeling this way. He can't even communicate this to his friends. He can't communicate this to his spouse. He can't go to the counselor and to the therapist and say, this is what is going on because he feels so deeply inside of him. He can't even speak it out. Do you see where he's at? Do you see the depression and the trial he's going through? See, this is what I love about this psalm is that Asaph is speaking so authentically to human affliction. He speaks, these are things that really happen to us. We come in the same point where, where we can't sleep because of what's going on. We come and we have a hard time even communicating it to other people. Because, well, they won't understand. They don't get where I'm at. I don't, even know, I don't even know what's going on. I just know I have this burden inside of me. See, when we're praying and we're pouring out our hearts to God, we're, we're earnestly seeking his blessing in our lives, where does our mind begin to wander? Where do we begin to think about God? Where does our disappointed soul lead us? You see, the truth is, Asaph is becoming disappointed. He's saying, God, you told me I was supposed to cry out to you. And God, I'm crying out to you now. But God, there's no answer. There's a disappointment within his soul. In all honesty, our disappointed soul begins to lead us to doubt. We begin to doubt what we know about God. 
We begin to doubt whether God is really good, whether God really loves us like he said he would, whether he really loves us like we believe him to. And look at where Asa's disappointed soul leads him. Verses 7 through 9 offer six questions that, that, that Asa begins to ask inside of his heart, that he begins to even doubt God. Verse 7, he says, will the Lord spurn forever? He says, God, were you going to be absent forever? Are you going to be gone forever from my life? He says again in verse 7, he says, will you never again be favorable? Will you never again give favor to my life? Verse 8, he says, has your steadfast love forever ceased? This steadfast love that you promised to us, is it done? Are you done with it? Is it not available anymore? He says, are your promises at an end for all time? God, all those promises that you gave, that you said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, are your promises done with now? Verse 9, he says, has God forgotten how to be gracious to me? Is your, is you, is your compassion shut up because of your anger towards me? See, these are logical questions. These are logical questions that come from a disappointed soul. I mean, if God has blessed me in the past, then why isn't God blessing me now? Why do I seem to be forgotten and abandoned by God? Has God's mercy come to an end? Is God angry with me? Is that why God isn't showing up? It's because he's angry with me? You see, this is serious business. These unanswered questions can obviously lead us to deep and dark places that cause us to doubt the truth that we know about God. It leads us to be like Ted Turner. There's a comic strip that highlights the struggle of unanswered, unanswered prayer. Calvin and Hobbes. Calvin and Hobbes. See, I love this. In this picture of Calvin and Hobbes, Calvin is sitting in, it's in November, and he's got his sled ready with him, and he's sitting in brown grass. And he says, he says, if I was in charge, we'd never see grass between October and May. Anyone agree with that statement? Everybody just love the snow? Snowbirds? Uh, one, two of you, we'll, we'll pray for you guys. Three of you, we'll pray for you guys. That's what we'll do. And Calvin says, man, if I was God, if I was in charge, man, it'd be snow all from October to May. And, and he's sitting there and he's waiting. And he looks up to God and says, okay, God, one, two, three, snow. And he's waiting. And he says, God, where are you at? I said, God, I said, snow, where are you at, God? And you see him, he's clenching his fist and he's stomping around like every good kid does. And he says, snow, snow, where's the snow at? And then in his disappointment, he said, okay, then I don't care. Don't, don't let it snow. I love this weather. This is what you and I do, right? Kind of, kind of sarcastic. He says, that's fine. I love this weather. This is perfect. I wish it could be like this forever. On the next frame, you see him on his knees, kneeling down. And he's praying to God. And he says, please, no. Please, maybe just a foot. Just a foot. No, maybe just eight inches. God, just six inches, please. Just six inches of snow. Enough for my sled to go. And he looks up at God and he says, God, I'm waiting. And I love this. You see this, uh, this, this word, uh, it's pronounced, Arr. Now see, this word you don't find in the English dictionary, but every parent has heard this word numerous time from, times from our kids. We know this word. And he's running around in a circle and he's stomping and he's angry. And he finally gets to the end of the rope. He's out of energy. He's exhausted. He's tired of waiting. 
And he looks up and says, God, do you want me to become an atheist? God, do you want me to become an atheist? See, this is a cute little story. But the truth is that we are often just like Calvin. We're often praying for God to show up and do something. But usually we're just praying for something a little bit more important than snow. And so we become like, like Calvin. We become like, like, like Ted Turner. We become to doubt God. We come to doubt whether or not God is real, whether God is true, whether God loves us the way he says he would. Before we look at the rest of this psalm, I want to stop for a minute right now. And I want to talk through a couple of reasons why God sometimes doesn't answer prayer. I want to talk through a couple of reasons why God sometimes doesn't answer prayer. Now, the truth is, I don't think we will ever come to a full understanding about prayer. I don't think we'll ever be at the point that we know everything about prayer. But as you look through a survey of the Bible, you'll find several specific reasons why God doesn't answer our prayers sometimes. We're going to look at five of these this morning. The first one that we find as to why sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers is because sometimes we have sin in our lives. Number one, we have sin in our lives. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 66, he said, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. See, if we have sin in our lives, we're putting a wall up between us and God. This is, this is we know we're doing something wrong. We know we shouldn't be doing this, but, you know, we're going to do it anyways. And then we're going to ask God to come in and help us out. You see, it's not that God is unable to hear our prayer, because God is omniscient. God knows everything. But God maintains his distance because we are the ones that have put this wall up between us and him. And so sometimes God doesn't answer our prayer because we have sin in our lives. Number two, sometimes God doesn't answer our prayer because we have broken relationships. What I'm saying here is that we cannot be in a right relationship with God if we are not in a right relationship with others, or at least doing all that we can to be in a right relationship with other people. You see, our horizontal as it were, as a horizontal relationship with other people, it affects our vertical relationship with God. They're interconnected. So broken relationships with others, they hinder our relationship with God, and they hinder our prayers from being heard by God. Mark chapter 11, 24-25 says this, it says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. See, Jesus is talking here, and he says specifically about someone coming to the temple to offer a gift, to offer worship, to offer and to pray to God. And he says, while you are doing this, while you're in prayer, if there is a broken relationship with others, if there is somebody that... that relationship that has been broken because of maybe some angry or hurtful words that you've said because of something that you've done if there's a broken relationship with somebody else and there's unforgiveness with somebody else go and make it right with that other person first and then come and relate to god because it affects our ability to worship and to pray to god first peter chapter 3 verse 7 says likewise husbands live with your wives in an understanding way Show honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you in the grace of life, so that your, hair, your prayers may not be hindered. See, ver, this verse is teaching that a man is to be considerate and respectful towards his wife. Because if he's not, his prayers will be hindered. 
If a husband does not treat his wife with love and honor and respect, which she deserves, then God said, it is my option. It is my decision that you don't deserve to have your prayers answered or considered by God. An improper husband-wife relationship hinders prayers because a good relationship with God depends on right relationship with others. The rule of thumb would be that God treats us the way that we treat others. And so we're praying and saying, God, I want you to step in and do something. How is your relationship with other people? The third reason why sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers is because we have the wrong motives. James chapter 4 verse 3 says, You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. This is kind of like we have the idea that God is a pharmacist. We say, God, you're the pharmacist. And I'm going to come with my prescription and say, God, this is what I need. This is what, the, this is what I've ordered. And I'm going to give this to you. And you're going to go behind the counter. And you're going to go and, and, and grab all whatever I need. I'm going to go look at the movies. And then tell, I'm going to come back 10 minutes later. And you're going to give me whatever I can. Because you're the pharmacist, right? And that's kind of the way we, we view God. We say, God, you're the pharmacist. Here's what I need. I'll come back. And, and you're going to give this for me. <clears throat> I tell you, uh, when we were young marrieds, I worked for the state patrol for a couple of years. And, and, and it was one of those places where it's all based on seniority. And I was the newest guy on campus. And, uh, and I remember I had this time where every time we got ready to do vacation schedules, the last guy that got hired was the last person to choose a vacation schedule. So undoubtedly, you get stuck with some stupid week that nobody wants off. And I'm like, this is a wasted week of vacation. And I remember this one year, I prayed and said, God, let these three people get sick. God, let these three people get sick so I can get the vacation week that I want. I mean, this is, this is what we do. We pray and say, God, I want, let these people be sick so I can get what I want, right? <laughs> That's true. I prayed that prayer. God, forgive me. I mean, this is, this is why in the Bible you, you read about the Pharisees. Remember the Pharisees, they were praying in front of everybody because they wanted everybody to see how righteous and holy were, they were. And they'd use fancy words and they'd pray loud so everybody can hear. I mean, this is, this is the idea. You know, this is the idea is, is you have a businessman who says, God, would you please bless my business? And you know the reason they're asking for that? They don't give to the church. They're not asking God to bless their business so they can give more to, to the work of the ministry. No, they want their own personal gain. God, bless my business so I can grow it and make my name greater. I mean, do you see the wrong motive in that? I mean, this is, this, is, this is where the guy prays and says, God, just help me win the lottery, and I'll give you half of it, God. I'll give you half the love of my winnings, but God, help me win the lottery. Who's that prayer really for? Who's that prayer really for? Is it for, for God's glory? Is it for ourselves? I mean, you think, well, you know, what's the lottery? $15 million? God, you'd love $7.5 million, right? Now, that prayer is really because I want $7.5 million. Proverbs 16.2 says, All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. You see, when we come and we pray for things out of improper motives, God knows that. God doesn't honor improper motives. Fourth reason why sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers is because there's a lack of faith. We have a lack of faith. Mark chapter 9 22 to 23 says this. It says, And it is often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. 
And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible. <laughs> all things are possible for one who believes. James chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed to the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He says, pray and don't doubt. Pray and believe that God will do it. See, doubt means to be undecided or skeptical about something. It is a lack of certainty and a lack of trust. And as Christians, doubt is an enemy to our faith because we are, believe, we are to believe what God said will happen. We are to believe what God said will happen. And if we doubt God's ability to answer our prayers, then he certainly isn't going to believe them. He certainly isn't going to answer them. An example of this, of the role of faith in our prayers is found in Mark chapter 6. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus returns to his hometown. He returns to his hometown and, and he's getting ready to do ministry there. But the people, they can't believe that this is a Jesus. No, this is a Jesus we grew up with. We played football with him at recess. We played tetherball with him. This is a Jesus that we grew up with. And, and they, they have a lack of faith in believing that Jesus can do the things that he said he can do. And he's teaching them and he says, I, I, I've come to heal. I've come to do these things. And they don't believe him because this is a Jesus that grew up with. They have a lack of faith. In verse 5 and 6 of Mark 6, Jesus says, And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. You see, faith in God and God's promises is what opens the door for God's work in our lives. Do you believe that God can actually do what we're asking him? Do you actually believe that God can show up and that God can and will respond? If we want our prayers the answer we need to lay doubt aside and we need to choose to have confidence in god and confidence in god's promises to rely on him who is more reliable than we are or more reliable than anything else in the world the fifth reason why sometimes our prayers aren't answered is because god has something different for us god has something different for us this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, that he hears us. And we know that he hears us in whatever we ask. We know that we have the requests that we've asked of. But see, this is the one thing that is hard. This is, this is, this is where the story, or the song, you, you heard the song by Garth Brooks, thanking God for unanswered prayers. This is, a, this is a story where Garth Brooks is 20 years after high school and he has his wife and he goes to the high school, old high school football game and he runs into his old high school sweetheart. But now things are a little different. Now she's got a beard. Now she is wasted. No, I, you know, I'm not against beards, but Duck Dynasty belongs on a man and not on a woman. And, and Garth Brooks goes to his high school football game and he sees this old woman. He says, man, this is a woman I used to pray for. And she's wasted and she's all over the place at a high school football game. And, and this is when he sings a song. He says, man, sometimes, sometimes God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. You know what I'm talking about? See, this is when we pray for something, knowing that it's what we want and it will please us. But God, in his sovereignty, he knows better. He knows that this isn't necessarily good for us. And so he holds out and he has something even greater. This is where we look and we can see a little picture. Man, if God, if, if this just happened, God, this would make me happy right now. But God can see the whole picture. 
God can see everything. And it says, you know what? This right now is not good for you in the long run. And God holds out and has something different and better for you. This is seen in, in, in John chapter 11. John chapter 11, Mary and Martha, they wanted Jesus to come and heal their brother Lazarus. Hey, Jesus, your friend Lazarus, he's sick, man. Come and heal our brother. And, and Jesus, he, he, he waits. He's got other things to do, and he waits for three days. Three days later, he shows up, and Mary and Martha are crying. They're saying, Jesus, where were you? You know, we called to you. God, we, Jesus, we said we wanted you to come and do this, and we know you can do it. We had faith that you can do it, but Jesus, where were you at? See, Jesus has something better for them. Jesus wanted to show them something even more powerful, and he raised Lazarus from the dead. He did a greater miracle in their lives and in front of them than just healing him. And we have to understand that sometimes God has something better for us. God has something greater for us that we can't even imagine. We ask for help. We say, God, would you give us health? But sometimes sickness and suffering help us produce holiness and maturity inside of us. And this is where you and I, we can look back in our lives and say, man, remember when I asked God for this? Remember when I said if this would happen, I'd be happy? And now we look back in our life now, a couple years later, and we say, man, I'm so glad that God didn't do that. That's Garth Brooks. I'm so glad God didn't let me marry Cy Robertson. That would be a terrible thing. So that is five reasons why sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers. These are some guidelines that we would do well to know and to memorize and be sure that we, when we're making our requests to God that we're searching within ourselves, that we're evaluating our own lives, that we're, we're trying to seek and make sure that we are right before God when we're making these requests to him. It requires that we actually stop and that we look into our own lives, offering a self-examination of ourselves. This is why when we're praying, this is why we need to look at ourselves and look into our own lives. And if we have areas that are out of whack, that we confess that to God and, and we confess and we repent. Because sometimes, you know, we, we say perhaps maybe we've, we've asked for the wrong things. Perhaps maybe we're misinterpreting the way that God is dealing with us. Perhaps we lack the big picture vision that God has over our life. Perhaps we see all, only the small corner of a great canvas of our life. God sees the whole canvas, but we only see the small corner. And this is what we're concerned about, but God's concerned about the whole thing. See, in our prayer life, we should never stop searching ourselves, examining ourselves, examining our lives, and confessing our faults before God. So let's look back here at Asaph. What is Asaph and you and I to do at a time like this. See, there's nothing that we can tell in Asaph's life that's out of place. I look at Asaph's life, and I think he's evaluated himself. I think he's looked at these five reasons why God sometimes doesn't answer prayer. And I think Asaph is, you know what? Yeah, I'm there. I've done this. I don't think there's anything out of whack. You and I are in the same point. So what are we to say? What are we to do when, when, when we have everything that we feel like we're in the right spot, yet God is silent? Asaph has an answer. See, deep in our hearts, hidden behind our smiling face, rests a profound disenchantment with the Almighty God because he's so quiet in our life when we need him most. So look at verse 10 and 11 with me. This is, I think, the turning point of the chapter. Asaph says, Then I said, 
I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. He says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your works of old. You see, as Asaph is looking at where his mind is taking him, as he looks at where his mind is right now and how he is causing him to begin to question the truth of who God is, begin to question the character of God, he stops in his tracks and it begins a change of direction. You see, instead of advancing this negative hypothesis about God, Oh, his ways are done forever. His love is done. His grace is done. It's not available anymore. He stops the negative hypothesis about God. And instead, he will recall the positive miracles that God has already done. He, he will rehearse the positive facts that he already knows to be true about God. He says, I will remember the eternity within which God works out his purpose, of which our lives are just a little blip. He says, I will remember the sovereign authority of God. I will remember uh, his transcendent majesty and his promises to all creation. You see these two words in your Bible? I will. Take a pen and circle these words. Circle these words. I will. Because Asaph's mind has led him to doubt God. It's led him to question whether what he knows about God is true. His mind is really telling him that God has changed. His mind is telling him that God has changed. He's not loving like he was before. God's not present like he was before. God's not merciful like he was before. He's not sufficient for my life like he was before. And this is why these words, I will, are so important. Because of what we know about God. James 1.17 says, The Father of lights, God who does not change like the shifting sh- sifting shadows. God cannot change. God cannot change. God's love for us never changes. His mercy towards us never changes. His grace never changes. His grace never runs out towards us. And Asaph is seeing where his mind is taking him. He makes a deliberate choice to step back from doubt and to believe the truth about God. He's choosing to stop being a victim of his own feelings. He makes this decision. He says, I will remember who you are. He makes a decision that says, no, these questions that are filling my minds, these doubts, this is not the God who the Bible portrays. This is not the God that I've seen in my life. This is not the God who sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for me. This isn't consistent with how God has worked in the past. And Asaph makes a determination in his mind to step back from the cliff of unbelief and begins reminding himself of the truth of God's character, the truth of God, of who God is. He remembers when God rescued his people out of Egypt. He remembers the story of how God led them out of slavery, of how how God parted the Red Sea right before their very eyes. He remembers how God did tremendous blessings and had tremendous blessings in store for the, for the Israelites in the promised land. But do you remember in that story of, of the Israelites, do you remember what happened to the Israelites? God is doing this amazing thing. God has led them out of Egypt, led them out of slavery. God parted the Red Sea and allowed the Israelites to walk through on dry land in the middle of the Red Sea. And, and, and as soon as they got through, the Red Sea came back and it, and it sucked up all the, all the Egyptians that were chasing them. I mean, the Israelites saw God do these amazing things. Do you remember what happened after that? The Israelites started complaining. 
they started saying, you know what, God, where are you at now? You know, we're, 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 we're having to hike in this wilderness, you know, and, 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 and we have to walk every day, and our shoes, you know, our feet, they hurt a little bit. They hurt a little bit. You know, God, you've promised this promised land. You said this is where we're going, but right now, I don't like where I'm at. I don't like the trials I'm going through. And they started complaining. You know, this manna stuff that, 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 that every morning we wake up and is on the ground, this food that you've provided for us, God, we don't really like this. We want to go back to where we can have ice cream sundaes and, 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 and TV dinners in Egypt. Remember those days? That's what we want to go back to. You know, that was so nice and so easy. And God, where are you at now? And they started complaining against God when God had so much in store for them. God was leading them. God had already done an amazing thing in their lives. God had so much in store for them. And this is, this is what Asaph is saying. He says, I will remember who you are. I will remember what you've done. I will remember that the Israelites, you know what? You didn't do it the way that we would anticipate it because you're greater than that. And you had greater plans for them. Asaph remembers that God was good. That God had greater things in store for the Israelites. He remembers that even though there was struggle and trial and calamity, that, that God cannot change and his sovereign will is not over. And God still has control and that God is, has a bigger and greater picture that we can understand. You know what I believe happens to Asaph at the end of this? We aren't told specifically what happens to Asaph at the end of this psalm. But I wholeheartedly believe that through this ordeal, even with God not showing up and answering his prayer the way he felt he should, even with God being somewhat silent, I believe that Asaph's faith and trust in God grew much greater. I believe his faith grew greater in God. See, part of our growth as Christians is learning how to preserve, persevere through the doubts so that God can bring us to a place of unshakable faith. You see, doubt is not the enemy. Doubt typically will lead us to having a stronger faith in who he is. When we come to those times and we're praying and seeking after God, we're seeking God's hand and he's not answering, and those doubts begin to fill our minds, those are the times that we need to come back to God's word, to the truth of who God is. Those are the times that our faith has grown, that we can have a concrete assurance of who God is, that God uses us to stretch us and to make us deeper and to give us an unshakable faith in who he is. See, prayer is not so much about my wants as it is to submitting to the will of God. This is why Jesus, on the night he was betrayed by Judas, on the night that he was arrested, he prayed to God and the garden. And he said, God, if it's possible, take this cup from me. God, I know what's going to come. I know the death that's coming on the cross. If it's possible for any other way, God, let's do this another way. But then he also prays, says, God, your will be done. God, your will be done. Can we say that in our lives? That's why Peter, Peter, I love the story of Peter, excuse me, Paul. The story of Paul. Paul was probably the greatest missionary that ever lived. He wrote 13, possibly 14 books of the New Testament. And he prayed, he had a thorn in the flesh. He had, he had something within him, a, a sickness that was such a thorn in his flesh that continually haunted him. And it says, I prayed three times for this to be removed. Three times I prayed, God, would you do this? Now, I don't think any of us could live up to the life that Paul lived. And here he is praying before God, 
He's righteous. He's a man of God. And God doesn't remove it from him. And, and, and Paul is able to say, you know what? My grace is sufficient for you. Can we say that? Can we say in the midst of our lives, when the times that we're praying and seeking after God, and God's not answering the way we want Him, can we say that His grace is sufficient for us? Is a saving relationship with Jesus Christ enough for us? Is love and forgiveness and, and eternity in heaven, is that enough for us? This is the unshakable faith that we are to have in God. That he will play out his will in our lives, even when we don't see it. See, one more scripture to share as we finish. In Daniel chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar, he built a statue of himself. He built a, a, a statue, and he said, ah, he declared that when the trumpet blows, everybody is to stop and bow down and worship my statue. Everybody's to worship me. So King Nebuchadnezzar make this, makes this decree for everybody to follow. But Daniel and his friends, they refused. They said, no, we're only going to worship God alone. We know we're only supposed to worship God. So King Nebi says, well, if you don't, if you don't stop and worship me when the trumpet blows, then I'm going to throw you into the fiery furnace. And Daniel and his friends say, okay. And so King Nebi throws him in a fiery furnace. And Daniel responds in verse 17 and 18. He says, if, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us. He believes it. And he will rescue us. Believes that God can and will. But if he does not, we will not serve your gods. We will follow and believe God anyways. See, I love this. This is where you and I need to be. Are we to believe that God can answer our prayers? Absolutely. We're to believe that God can answer our prayers. Are we to believe that God will answer our prayers? Absolutely, we're to believe that. But if God doesn't, are we still supposed to believe? Absolutely. If he does not, we will not serve your gods. See, this is a statement. Go and show that next slide. This is a statement. I believe that God can. I believe that God can answer our prayers. I believe that God will answer our prayers. But if he doesn't, I still believe. I still, this is what, this is what Daniel and his friends are saying. They say, I believe that God can save us from the fire furnace. We believe that God will save us from the fire furnace. But even if he doesn't, we still believe God. I want you all to... This is a little different for us. I want you to say this statement with me. I believe God can. I believe God will. And even if he doesn't, I still believe. Can you say that from your heart today? Because I tell you what, there's going to be times when we're seeking after God and we don't get why God's silent. We don't, we're like Asaph. We're in the middle of the story. God, where are you at? And when those doubt comes, we need to come back to what we know to be true about God. We need to come back to what this book says about God. He says he's good. We know he is. He cannot change. <laughs> we believe God can. 
We believe God will. And even if he doesn't, we still believe. Amen?